Welcome to the Madness. We are the Mouths of Madness Horror Movie Podcast. Your new favorite podcast for horror movie reviews. We're coming to you live tonight from the Dungeon of Doom. This is our episode two. And tonight we're covering the 1973 original Exorcist. My name is Kevin. Let me introduce you to the other members of Madness. First, we have Dan. Dan, did you bring the crucifixes tonight? I did, and let me tell you, what a fine day for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Next, we have the mayor of Halloween Town, Bearclaw. Bearclaw, where's the uh, green pea soup? Oh, it's going to be all over our faces by the end of this podcast, Kevin. Just, just all over our faces. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do you feel a little less burnt out this episode? You know, this was this was a, a breath of fresh air and uh, you know, face full of vomit. So uh, we'll just have to have to keep this train going. Yes, sir. All right, on to our last and youngest member of Madness, Logan. Logan, did you bring the Ouija board? You got it set up? Oh, I got it set up, and I can tell this one is going to be a smash hit tonight. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. I know that there are a lot of other great horror movie podcasts out there, but what separates our podcast from the other ones is that we're going to be giving you the older versus younger generation viewpoint. Myself, Dan, and Bearclaw were all born in the 80s, whereas my son, Logan, he was born in the early 2000s. So this is the clash of the generations. Well, before we dive into the episode, I want to do a little housekeeping. We want to thank you all for tuning into our first episode, which was actually a two-parter. We ended up talking a lot on the Halloween movie series franchise, really, and our ranking. You know, we got a lot of good feedback. A lot of people were commenting. We have a pretty cool theme song. So I want to shout out our buddy Nathan, who also does our editing as well. So he's the one who kind of came up with our song, and we appreciate his help on it. Also... We want to plug our Instagram account. Please go follow us over on Instagram. It is at miles.of.madness. And finally, please go and check us out on Spotify. They have those five-star reviews, which help the algorithm out. That would help us out if you gave us a five-star review so we can move to the top of the uh, Spotify list. Get us going there. Well, without any further ado, grab a beer, pull up a chair, hold on to your straight jacket tight, and let's dive into the madness. Now, we watched The OG Exorcist from 1973. It was directed by William Friedkin, written by William Blatty, based on a 1971 novel. Now, this was kind of a big hit for a horror movie back in the day. Do you guys know what it grossed originally? 
No, I mean, it, it was a very popular movie. They said they had uh, lines waiting. I mean, this movie left a big impression on people when, you know, they asked especially our parents about some of this stuff. Uh, everybody was terrified of that movie, but everybody went and saw it. So this it's got to be a pretty high number. Do you have a number in mind? I, I would say, I don't know. I think it was something, something like $400 million. That is the lifetime gross. Oh, okay. So definitely close. The lifetime gross is four hundred and forty-one million. Oof. I'm gonna say hundred and fifty million. That's a good guess. I'm gonna say two fifteen. You guys are all around the same ballpark. It grossed a hundred and ninety-three million. Ooh, wow, that's pretty good for seventy-three. Yeah. Right? Yeah, especially yeah. horror movies. It's box office. Box office. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> pretty crazy. The uh, Rotten Tomatoes score, as of this recording, it has a 78% critic score and an 87% audience score. So this is definitely a certified fresh movie. And wasn't this one of like the first horror movies to get nominated? And actually, didn't it win a couple of uh, Academy Awards? It wasn't the first horror movie. I do have that as my one of my fun facts for this film. It is one of the first horror movies to be nominated for an Academy Award. That's pretty cool, yeah. if you think about it. And I believe they won a bunch of awards for, like, the makeup and, and, and sound engineering, stuff like yeah. that. Like, a lot of the B-tier, like, awards. But I think there was some other, like, prestigious titles they took home, too. Well, I'll tell you what. What's her name? Linda, Linda Blair. Should have won an Academy Award for getting tossed around in this oh, movie. Yeah. And, you know, the kind of the... It seemed, and I believe it was real life pain. She ended up hurting her. Yeah, she got hurt on one of the bed shaking scenes, right? She hurt her back yeah. pretty bad. That must have been terrifying, just in real life terrifying. <laughs> right. Can you imagine? Her neck yeah. must have been like. Like yeah. yeah, she got bended up like an accordion. <laughs> well, I, and I'll tell you, one of the things that I, I absolutely love about this movie is like the cinematography, which was done by Owen Roisman. Uh, he also did like the French Connection. He did the 90s Adams Family movie. He did Network. I mean, he's done uh, so many good things. But that's one of the things that is very distinct to me in, in my mind is how beautifully shot this movie is. You know, especially, you know, that iconic scene of the priest, you know, the old priest coming and the the light shining right on him as he walks up, like just that that moment and that tenseness, it, it captures like it a, ended up the being whole the, feeling of the movie. It ended up being the the movie cover, right? Yeah, I mean, it just that. I mean, that you know, as iconic as Michael Myers is to Halloween, I would say that that shot of uh, of Father Marin in the light, about to you know walk to you know what he knows is going to probably be the end. Uh, is uh, is so iconic with this movie, and and, and uh, there's so many scenes that are iconic. It's just uh, it's, and it's a beautiful movie. I think the way it's shot too also kind of adds to the terror factor to mm -hmm. it as well. Yeah, yeah. The lighting is really good in this yeah. movie. Lighting, the effects, the music, the music is mm -hmm. iconic. I, it's funny because like I always refer to the song as the Exorcist theme song <laughs> but it, it's not you know it's, yeah it's tubular bells which is an actual song that they use thought about that well they they had looked for a song i guess to to fit in the movie specifically mm -hmm. for an eerie type of feeling they had gone through some classical music and then they settled on the the song tubular bells and it, which is weird because it's also it's only played really in that one scene where uh -huh. she's walking through the streets there, the mother, and at the very, very end 
So it's it's not like a reoccurring theme, but uh-huh. it's 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 kind of cool to to have that in in the movie, you know. And it really kind of it really does score the movie well. I thought, you know. Yeah, and and one of the things that always gets me, especially in desert scenes and stuff, with like when when you know Marin is in Iraq researching, you know these demons digging up these artifacts, is they always have this way, and and they also do it in in a movie called The Ninth Gate, which is all about like looking where they make like even though it's full it's full daylight it's always like at dusk and it looks very insidious and evil and and just the time when he's in iraq is just it's so crazy it's, it's amazing how they make sunny look so dangerous and when you know you think you're in the sunshine you should be safe but there's nothing about Marin's situation when he's in the desert there that feels safe right right yeah it is kind of it is it's almost like a foreshadowing for the rest yeah of the movie, you know at the very beginning can i just Add in, like you kind of mentioned the music. The one thing that I kind of thought was very, very interesting was, yeah, they have that theme, but that's the only piece of music and it's only played once throughout the entire. There's no music throughout the entire film besides really? those one or two yeah. things. Really? That's yeah. the one thing I noticed. I, I, I was like, I watched it a second and third time and I was like, there was definitely music. No, there wasn't. Not, not, through the, not through the exorcism scene. It, it does. Was, it does make you feel uneasy in that sense too, where like there is nothing. You know? There's no. There's no musical cues like in like in all the horror movies. Like something ominous or something is gonna jump out and get you. Like there's none of that in this. I kind of like that though, because I was kind of. I I do. I will say I do. I do agree with you because. I think the one thing they didn't have was a lot of music, but I think it was the absence of music that made it even more terrifying to add to the point, because when all of this is happening and it's just pure silence in the background while she is becoming this demon, it's just more, it's more insidious rather than like actually like horrifying. It's more like, it's, it's more low level, but it's also like kind of, it's kind of like it's reaching down your throat, kind of. Yeah, and I would I would say that like there's like an element of realism to it. Yeah, going back to how it's shot, to me, it kind of feels like you for almost you can almost forget that you're watching a movie and like you're kind of watching something actually really happening. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely a good point, and it really it does have that kind of scary undertone to it. Now this brings me to. A discussion question for all of us. The tagline of this movie is the scariest movie of all time. Do you feel like it does live up to that tagline today? Or do you feel like over time it's kind of lost some of the luster from 1973? What do you guys think? I'll open this up here. So... Take I'll, the straight jacket. I'll take Let's the straight jacket off and, and and get down to brass tacks here. So, you know, when I I first saw this movie uh, last week, when I watched it for this podcast, I had not seen it before. I had never really heard of it before, and and to be honest with you, it was a beautiful movie, but I found it to be not 
that you know i think there's a lot of things you can you can look into it i think there's a lot of things that are represented in the movie but as far as it being the scariest movie i, I didn't find it particularly terrifying i mean in the context of when the movie was made I, you know you can't talk to anybody who was around when this was in theaters and them not explain how terrifying it truly is to them but in the modern context i found this movie to not be that scary at all. I mean, the scariest thing for me was, you know, a child having an unknown affliction and the mother, uh, mother or parent being, you know, helpless to solve it. That was the most terrifying aspect of this movie to me. Okay. The demonic possession, the religious overtones. In 2023, it's very hard to relate to that. And, and for those things to have the kind of pressures and fears that I think would, would have been more relevant in the time when this movie was around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think, I don't know. It's, it, it's tough because I'm trying to think about that time frame, 1973. Kids then were born, what, in the 60s, maybe late 50s, right? It, it was a whole different time period. There were kids that were probably a lot more conservative versus today's kids. I don't want to go too much into religion, but I'm sure it was more of a religious world as well back then, too. So you do have some of that where there were probably a lot more God-fearing people that went into this movie and were exposed <laughs> you know some sort of demonology in 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 film form well and i mean you know in their minds this is in somebody who is deeply religious this is this is something very much in the realm of possibility you know and and that uh, the idea of this being in the realm of possibility is absolutely terrifying with our you know modern perspective and needing evidence and things like that it, you know, it obviously dulls the fear of this quite a bit. But I mean, back before the Internet, back before social media, back before all of that stuff. And this and, and you thinking that this is a possibility like that right. this could happen. That's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> you know, what I found, too. And I want to ask Dan on this. Is it scarier in the movie? Does it help the cause of it being the scariest movie of all time that the actual mother in, in this movie is not religious in herself. You know, she is kind of more down to earth, more rooted, like you said, Bearclaw, in, in proof and science and things like that. Whereas this, what's happening to her daughter is kind of out of, out of the realm of thought a little bit, you know? I mean, yeah, I think so. There isn't a, she doesn't really specify that she is that much religious at all. I think that back in uh, 73, I was just kind of going back to what you guys were saying, like the term exorcism in itself, that wasn't a common word. Mm -hmm. We have that word now in our lexicon today because of this film. I don't know if necessarily for me, her being somebody that of faith really impacts, you know, my fear factor in it. I kind of think in terms of uh, other things that are scary, Besides, like, you know, the, the front-facing demonic possession thing, clearly she has no idea what it is. So going back to Bearclaw's point of, like, this is my child, there's something clearly wrong with her. I don't know what's wrong, but I'm going to go and get me because she's of this privilege where she's an actress and she has all this money and she can get the best specialists in the world to figure out what's going on with her. And 
I think to the scary facet of it is, is like all of medicine, all of psychiatry, all of that fails that woman. Mm -hmm. And so when all of the institutions and knowledge that those institutions have fail, I think that in itself is the exorcist's question is when all that fails, what is left? Right. Once the secular world has failed you and, and you know, the most modern treatment, they made the, the main character rich for a reason. She's a single mother for a reason. That was, I mean, this is 1973. That was not a normal thing. You've got the question of faith. I mean, uh, the faith, uh, the question of faith versus secular knowledge is a big theme in this movie as far as like you know the main priest there is both is a psychologist and a priest but a priest who's losing his faith the main uh, woman there is a single working mother successful on her own no man really in her life and she is she's trying all of these secular things but they all fail her and it's almost like she it begs to go back to the more traditional roots. I don't know that that's necessarily a positive message that the film is sending, <laughs> but I think that that is one of the messages that the saying is is saying, okay, oh, you've got all this great stuff in the secular world. Oh, you're so big and bad, but you can't handle this demon and you have to turn to faith then. And I think that that is, you know, there's a couple of different paths you can go. I'm curious to see what Logan has to say on this being like, what, what did you, how scary did you find this movie? I wouldn't say it was necessarily scary. I think it was definitely eye-opening for me. Necessary. I don't think I would say it was like the scariest movie I've ever seen. But then again, like I really haven't seen that many scary movies. But like on the level of scary movies I've seen, probably on the like the lower index of movies, I would say necessarily. But like I think The Exorcist being the scariest movie of this time is definitely something that could be brought up like in like movies past. Like it's obviously one of the movies that everyone talks about whenever horror is, is brought up. The exorcist is always like usually mm -hmm. in that conversation. Yeah, right. But I think like for me, I wouldn't say the exorcist is uh, the scariest movie. Right. And, and just, um, you know, this was the first time you saw The Exorcist as well, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I had seen this movie when I was a kid and was kind of confused by it at first, like, because a lot of it felt disjointed to me a little bit. And, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, especially the opening where they're in Iraq and and then all of a sudden it's to this girl's life. And, you know, it, 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 it definitely takes a 180. Yeah, as a little yeah. kid, I was very confused because... I had heard, we had all heard about this movie. With, yeah. You know, the, the throw up scene with the, with the pea soup and the head spin, we had heard about it. And so I'm like, where are these scenes? You know, <laughs> it, had, it had gone a different way. But then when I was older, I had saw it when it was re-released in the movie theaters. And I was like, whoa, okay, this has the atmosphere. This is scary. But me and Logan watched this together the other night. And I was kind of watching it through his eyes a little yeah. during this viewing. And I got to say, I was finding myself a little bored at times. Yeah. It was, it, I would say, this is probably one of the, bo the most boring movies I've ever watched or you've made me watch. <laughs> because I think, That's a ringing endorsement. I think the problem <laughs> I, I had... <laughs> 
What Logan have you took, made me do? Logan <laughs> took the straight jacket completely. <laughs> yeah. No, you made me put it back on because of this movie. Like, this movie made me more crazy. I think the problem I had was just, like you said, it was disjointed, but also it was just the way the movie, the format, everything was just... It was very slow going. It was slow. It was so slow. It felt like I was watching Halloween... Five again, like that's no, basically no, like no, it was. No way. Editor's note: I have spoken to Kevin, and Logan has in fact been grounded for making that comparison. There is, yeah, was, <laughs> there is no way that uh, Exorcist it's is just, compared to Halloween Five. It is definitely a slow burn, and it's not paced like it's not paced as movies are paced today. Like I think just, when they're doing the actual exorcism, I was just like. God, let this end. <laughs> like, I was literally praying. You want to know what end. thought I had when they were doing the exorcism? It was, oh, this is what all this stuff is based off of. Because I feel like throughout uh, throughout all the sketch comedy shows did yes. something with this. Yeah. All the cartoons, I feel, did something with this. I mean, this is Scary definitely an movie. iconic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's definitely iconic. Movie. Like, in the throwing up, like, I, Leslie Nielsen did something with, with this. Like, So, to your point, Bearclaw, like, what you had said before, you know, about What's really scary, and and Dan, you had also said about what's scary is kind of seeing this through the mother's perspective about what's going on to your child and doing what you can to help your child. And I get, and I think some of the slow pacing and slow burn scenes are kind of to make the audience with the child and mother and create that, you know, show that connection they have. And And then over time, as Reagan gets more and more possessed, is show kind of that turn into just doing whatever it takes and being willing to go and 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 get an exorcism or look into getting an exorcism like this is your only hope. I think you know a lot of the movies built in that idea but it's it's just so slowly paced, you know. Yeah, it really. I, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this. One of the interesting things like you had also said Bear Claw was about uh Father Karras and his kind of being a, a psychologist, right, and mm-hmm. a priest. I would really like this movie, I think from the perspective of maybe she was already possessed. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Karras, we kind of follow his character more mm-hmm. in this movie. And then you can do like flashbacks or maybe some other scenes where you show the mother and the daughter's bond. Mm-hmm. But you really focus on Dr. Karras's storyline in this, like being a psychologist and being I just, a man of science and a man of God. And like, you know, here's a, here's an interesting question I'd like to pose to you, gentlemen. Do you think at the end of the movie... Because at the beginning of the movie, Karis had lost his faith or felt that he was losing his faith. Do you think in his final moment there, he had found his faith? Or do you think, or do you think that something else transpired there? Do you think by the end of the movie, he had found his faith or do you think that there was still? No, I don't think so. I, my, I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I think overall that exorcism failed. Yeah. And, Essentially, the only way that uh, Reagan ended up surviving was that Father Karras was a, a tastier host for the demon to jump into. And I think the exorcism finally wore him down to the point where, like, the only thing left was for him to do is just to be like, you know what? Fuck it. Take me over. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Because I mean, I, I like I I actually agree with you. I don't think I don't think he did. But you could look at it from the light of oh, he found his faith in the end, and that's how he was able to take the demon in. But with the demon going to a host with faith, it didn't go into Marin. It just offed him. So uh, you know, yeah, I, the demon won, in my opinion. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think. Yeah, I think in many ways he was defeated. Yeah. Right. He yeah. was at the end of his. He was at the end of his point where he was just like at the beginning of the movie. He was talking about how he was. He lost his faith. He didn't want to continue on with this kind of. He didn't see a path for him necessarily. I don't think he ever really found it in this movie. But I think him talking to the mother there at the end, where they were getting ready to start the exorcism back up, where she was asking him, "Is the exorcism over?" And he's like, "No." And she's like, "Is my daughter okay?" And he's like, "I don't know." When he walked up the stairs and was kind of ready to go again, I felt like he was kind of more, he was more motivated to do whatever it took to be done with this, where he was at his wit's end in this movie. I think he saw himself getting possessed by the devil and he was, or the demon, and he was like, there's no roads left. I like that. I, I agree with you. Like, I feel like he was defeated. You know? Yeah. You could almost see it in his face. When he walked into the room and Father Marin was dead and she turned to him and gave him that sinister look. She doesn't look that worried, does she? No. <laughs> She's kind of lounging, kind of not... Uh, She's flexing. Flexing, yeah. Doesn't look like she has the uh, quote-unquote fear of God. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? You're right. I mean, actually, in theory... The movie kind of ends with the demon winning in a way. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, it took a toll on them, I think, more of just the. It was more of a. I will say this. It was more of a psychological throat. Oh, it definitely movie. was more psychological. And I think that's what I like about it is because of psychological, I liked how his defeat kind of ended with him at like he had nowhere left to go and he surrender. had to get. Yeah, he had to surrender to it. And I think. Just at the end where they are all just kind of like the mother and the daughter leaving. They're done with this kind of place in their lives and everyone else kind of just continues on on like everything that happened was such a huge like that should have been like a huge thing. But no, it just went on like nothing ever happened. That is very weird. Like it's kind of an unnerving thing. Like the fact that like all this trauma just took place and they're kind of just happy go lucky pick up and leave. The mother was just like she didn't want to deal with it anymore because she was just like I've done everything I could. We did the exorcism. My daughter doesn't remember what happened to her. I think she does, though. And because of the scene where she kissed the other priest, she looked at the priest's collar, and then she recognized there was, like, a light bulb that went off and gave him a kiss on the cheek, um, the friend of Karis there. So mm -hmm. I almost, like, think that she does remember some of what had happened, but it's kind of like... <laughs> trying to put out... Well, know, she did... She probably did see that dude, you know jump out the window and then here's my question is she still technically possessed at the end of the movie and that's the demon again flexing giving the priest a peck on the cheek i thought about that when i saw mm. that scene and i'll i'll be honest i think if now i haven't seen the new exorcist or anything i like haven't that. seen, I haven't any seen of how many of them yeah i don't yeah. know which one are you talking about because so, there's at least 15 yeah, exorcism so, movies now i mean i haven't i haven't seen any but if i think if this movie was made today 
Like there would have been that twist ending. You're hundred percent right. Like there, it, we would have because there was also the great opportunity when the car is driving away and you see her from the rear, the rear windshield. That would have been a perfect opportunity to have the demon face go on or mm-hmm. whatever. That would have been a perfect twist if it was made nowadays. <laughs> but I think I do think that, in my opinion, I don't think the demon is in her anymore. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think I think the demon won by being able to take out both Marin and Karis. I think the the priests and the true enemies of the demons. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because what you know, what real and this was this was kind of one of my beefs with the movie too. Though is like, what's the like? And, and I don't know whether it would be a good thing or a bad thing if this was made clear. But what's the demon's like end game here? What's he trying to achieve? Chaos. Yeah, I mean, the, there's that, but I mean that that's kind of empty. Maybe if there was like some grand plan, and I think they experiment with that in later movies. But um, but yeah, that, that was that was one of the things that I thought was a little bit like I don't I didn't know whether it was a good thing or not a good thing that we couldn't decipher why the demon chose Reagan or any of that like it was really difficult to understand the demon's motivation you could tell he had been like quote unquote working with her through for a while through the ouija board as captain howdy uh that the name is still very terrifying to me (laughs) captain howdy it's just a very creepy best friend name like or imaginary friend name like oh and I think it's that 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 comes from this movie as well. Captain Howdy is Captain. notoriously like yep. puts uh, shivers down my spine. Do you think though it's scarier that we kind of don't know? The yeah, in some ways I feel that. Like I think that. it makes the movie better because yeah. like I don't want to know what the demon is doing because that makes it like that would make it like kind of what they did with Halloween too, or like where they were kind <laughs> of Halloween. trying trying to find. Like a motivation. Trying to find a motivation. I think, like, I like that in terms of, like, different movies. Like, I love I love when a killer or, like, a villain of any sort has kind of a motivation or a means for uh, doing what they did. Right. Like, I was talking to you the other day about, even though it's kind of, ch- even though it's more of not a horror movie, but it's more of a thing overall where it's, like, who is the best villain, like, Disney villain or something like that? And I think my my the way you decide who is is because of means and also just why, like why they why they wanted to do this. And I think for an exorcist movie or any kind of like possession movie, you don't really need a means. They just are. Yeah. And to kind of elaborate a little further on your point, I feel like there has been this thing since Game of Thrones, the series came out where characters there are no good guys there are no bad guys anymore there are just gray areas and i think we've become so conditioned to like that gray area character where we have to know all of their motivations and it's like you got to remember this is a movie that's basically the plot premise is good versus evil that's all you need to know (laughs) yeah so so good versus evil where do you guys think that cop falls the the one who's like who's nosing around. Oh, the lieutenant. Yeah, because he's kind of like a character, but he's not really. I feel like he doesn't get ever fully baked. He's, Can I tell you? There's so much time. I feel like he's a, I feel like he's a wasted character. Yeah. He Can I tell there. you? There is something very very subtle that I picked up after rewatching it again. It's that scene where he's interviewing the um, Chris mm-hmm. and having coffee, and he notices the paint set. Uh-huh. If you remember. 
there is a church desecration yep. earlier in the movie. Oh, okay. As soon as he noticed, he's asking her questions, and then he goes, can I get your autograph? I realize in that moment, he's being a detective. He's trying to check her penmanship to see if she is the culprit behind the church desecration. She, He is actively investigating Chris that entire time, and I wonder if she's even aware of it. That is a good point. I I didn't really read too much into that's that. That's good. But yeah, that was a good that was a good connection that you made. That's there. definitely that's definitely uh, that's definitely kind of a uh, because it's just out of nowhere. He just asks for it out of nowhere, and I'm uh, like, yeah. there's a reason why he's doing it. What's the reason? See, I was just expecting we more from reason. him as a character because he yeah. just really didn't. He just it really didn't go anywhere. Like, and and he was so developed, and he was so well played, and and he was so well spoken, and you know, just how he was, you know, kind of talking with the priest, investigating the first uh, murder, the guy Denning, who was launched from the window, and whose head was twisted around first. But like, That's it was a way to go. It was one of the, yeah, <laughs> it was a crazy like. But it's one of those. It's one of those things where he was. I really thought he was going to play a part in it later in the movie, or or maybe like at some point the demon was going to hop into him or something. Or, or like I, I don't know. I thought something was going to happen with him because I really didn't know whether he was or he was going to try and like arrest the priests at the end. I thought was going to be like yeah. a possibility, but uh, nope. He just kind of stops being in the movie at one point, and that's kind of the end of it. I remember <laughs> when we when Logan and I had finished watching the movie. Logan was like, "Well, what was the point of it?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I was. I agree with Bearclaw here, where I was kind of like, I thought he was going. I thought the plot twist at the end of the movie. For my th- my thinking was when we were watching it, when the detective came around, there was going to be a whole thing where like the demon was going to be gone or like some kind of like, oh, it's gone now. And then at the end, like we see the chaos left. The detective shows up, arrests the priest. Yeah. And then at the end, when the priest is getting locked up, we look at the girl and she's got the demon face. And I was like, oh, OK, that could have been the ending. But no, they went in a different direction. And he was just there asking people if they liked film. I, th- yeah. I, I, think, I think some of the like newer horror movies have kind of shaped our view. Also. Yeah, I like a twist. Nobody cares about a movie unless it's got a twist ending. He's dead. He was chasing himself. It was a dream. It wasn't a dream. That's what sells tickets, fellas. Yeah. I like a twist. No, I mean, conditioned. Yeah, we are conditioned, you know, and that's part of it. I think, though. I, I do think that the effects hold up pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Some of them. Some of yeah. them, yeah. Some of them. But, but I mean, the effects for the time, because I remember this was one of those movies that was kind of interesting in that I remember, and this was maybe like a very early 90s thing, uh, where there was a lot of those uh, special FX shows where they'd be like, behind the scenes at the movies. Right. And this movie was always like, it was part of the show at MGM. They were talking about how they made her head spin. Like, yeah. these must have been very, and I don't really have any, any way of gauging how revolutionary the special effects were, but I mean, it looked, even today, it looked terrifying. Right. It does look good. Yeah, it did look pretty reasonably good. I love practical effects. Oh yeah. So real quick guys, to to the to your point on the makeup, Father Marin is played by Max von Sydow, whom you may know from Game of Thrones as um the three-eyed raven. No uh, way. Right. You're going but he looks so decrepitly old. Yeah, there. wait a minute. Was, that's oh, the right? makeup. Yeah. Max von Sydow is 42, 43 no years way. old in uh-huh. that movie. 
And the extra that's how yeah. that's a testament to how good the makeup. You know is. what's crazy is I'm watching I'm rewatching Game of Thrones right now. That is yeah, he's the that yeah. is that is pretty dang good for uh, 1972. He just recently passed away in 2020. Oh, yeah, that sucks. And if you want to see him look really young, there's a movie called The Seventh Seal. Where he like has this whole conversation with death as like a medieval knight, but it's he's he looks super young in that movie. He's I don't know that movie's probably twenty years before this movie, but uh, that blew me away. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, and like you said, some of the effect scenes those are going to be the classic scenes throughout time. They're gonna they're gonna last forever, you know. And and like you said before too. If you talk to people from older generations, I mean, they still talk about how terrified they were. And it's cool because if you, you can go on YouTube and they have some videos of people that like passed out in the theater. Yeah, I watched some of those. Yeah, yeah they're really pretty cool. cool. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not cool, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's it's cool to see how much an effect. Yeah, yeah I mm. think I think the big thing I have with this movie is just. How when you ever talk to somebody about the exorcist, like an older, like the person that grew up with these kind of movies, they talk about how, oh, it gave me nightmares. Like, oh, I was terrified for weeks. It's just it's how they remember a movie like there's movies we're obviously going to remember for probably the rest of our lives based on how we felt during that movie when we first watched it, like the age we were. I think it just has a lasting effect on us where we kind of just remember that and we just. Whenever that is brought up, we're like, wow, that is terrifying. That makes me absolutely scared for my <laughs> life. Because I don't think I've ever really had a movie that really terrified me. But there's definitely been, like, instances where, like, I will say, like, if you ever bring up, like, kind of movies like that, I'm kind of like, okay, that, that, that scares me a little bit, you know? I mean, that's kind of, it goes into, like, I feel like people now, too, are more desensitized, you know, because of the movies we've gotten since mm -hmm. 1973, you know, can you remember the last time you saw a movie that made you feel squeamish or like hereditary Texas oh, no. chainsaw massacre remake thing one uh, from 2004, uh, the platinum dunes one where uh, he's getting dragged down in the basement fingernails oh, yeah, embedded into the wall. You hate yeah. anything with no. fingers. Just stay away nails. from me. Nails. Uh, Any, just anything with fingers. Oh, Pet Cemetery is, yeah. is to my mind the scariest movie that uh, that I think I've I've seen. The, the new I'm, one's I'm, pretty good too. I haven't seen the new one or the new series. I've only seen the uh, '90s uh, version yeah. there with uh, Herman Munster. There, so <laughs> sometimes dead is better. You know that. Uh, don't go down that road now. Don't go down that road. The truck's gone. But yeah, that that to me is like the only movie that, or one of the only movies that, like to me, was truly terrifying. But you know, I mean. This movie, if you think about it in context of like, this is something that you think is a is a possibility. This is a truly terrifying possibility right. where you lose all control. You have no control. But it also talks about another fear of the time, which is a little bit more interesting. And this has to do with feminism and puberty. And, um, you know, there's a really great article on Sci-Fi Wire by somebody named uh, Emma Frazier, uh, The Terrifying Power of Girls and Second Wave Feminism Backlash and The Exorcist. Uh, that article has some really great stuff where it talks about how a lot of this movie was a backlash 
backlash against feminism. And, you know, you've got an independent uh, lead uh, woman who is, you know, doesn't require any male help to, you know, make the, her means in the world. Keeping in mind, this is in the context of 1970s. So this is still a relatively new concept, a, a single mother out on her own, away from home. And all of a sudden, her 12-year-old daughter, who, you know, that's the age of puberty, all of a sudden has all these, you know, her, you know, the parallels are endless here. You know, her face is exploding. She has, you know, all kinds of, of new, <laughs> of new aggressive feelings and emotions. And, but a lot of this is like, oh, okay, she, this terrible thing is happening to this girl. We need the patriarchy to come back. The, the old traditional foundational powers to come in and intercede here to make things better again. Right. And, father. And, and, you know, this was also a big time for feminism during while this was happening. So this could be seen as uh, maybe we shouldn't, you know, the, the overall message of the movie is maybe we shouldn't be so quick to rely on the secular world for all of our answers. Maybe we need those old traditions for a reason, just, just such as demonic possession. That's truly demonic possession in the secular world will fail you. And that's when faith will step in. Dang. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't looked at it like that, but that makes a lot of sense for kind of the parallels and, and like how scary it is with a girl going through that, uh, probably anybody nowadays, but you know, how terrifying puberty is and it can make them seem like they turn into monsters. <laughs> yeah. Just get, keep them away from crucifixes. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though, I do think like kind of the subplot of this movie was Reagan didn't really have a father figure in this movie. And I think that's why the mother was kind of like, thinking that her daughter kind of had this mood change because of this. And I think like they were kind of, they were kind of weighing it in a little bit lower than I think they, I would have expected them to, because they kind of brought it up. Like, you know, obviously on her birthday, like her father didn't call or anything. And she was kind of just like, she wasn't feeling like good. And then like, of course, obviously the scene at the party where she kind of just peed on the carpet straight up. And the mother was kind of just, this is kind of just a, thing that happens because you know she's upset or whatever like she wasn't really going into like the nitty-gritty of like this could be a serious issue yeah that's uh, I, I love psychiatry in the 70s they really really love their somatoform yeah. disorders <laughs> they really psychiatry what is that we don't know about that in the 70s we didn't have that well, therapy didn't they, didn't they say too it was like psychiatry was like the step before exorcism <laughs> she was like wait a minute psychi like psychiatrist like well like i think that's also kind of like a uh, horrifying reality of the time too is like if you had a serious psychiatric illness you went right to an institution. Mm -hmm. There is no, like, no, hope no interventions yeah. like we have now where, like, there's step-down levels and things like that. Like, there's medicines, there's psychotherapies, there's so much more. Like, back then, it was just like, uh, mental health was kind of a taboo thing. You didn't talk about it in polite society. And then, uh, you know, it's kind of like if you had it, you, you were kind of swept under the rug, tucked yeah. away somewhere else. The older generation just kind of relies on that because... Here's the thing. They don't want to deal with it. So that's why. And I think this doc, the doctor that was talking to uh, Chris there was kind of just like trying to ignore that kind of like when Chris was bringing it up over and over again, the doctor was kind of like, yeah, that's not that's not what we do here. That's not what we believe in. That's not what should happen. I think like he was shutting it down because 
he believed in the modern day practices of medicine, drugs, like all that kind of stuff, rather than actually allowing somebody to talk uh, about it because talking isn't allowed back in the day. You know what? I got to say, too, for me, this watch the scariest scenes were actually the medical scenes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when she when she was getting stuck like yeah, the, needle, the needle I I, I had to look away. I don't like needles. Up. Yeah. So that's the scariest stuff. I don't like needles. So fun fact, that procedure that she had where she got the needle stuck in her throat yeah. and they had the blood cord yeah. out, yeah. that was called a pneumonoencephalophagram. Uh it was a practice they had in the 70s that eventually phased out with the invention of the MRI machine in 1971. Uh, so it was basically a, a contrast imaging that like looked at all the major arteries in the brain. Obviously, now we have the MRI machine. You don't have to have that crude, invasive thing go into your neck. They just plug an IV into your arm and they put the dye through that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just, it was, yeah, it, it was hard the medical watch. scenes were tough because, and, and, you know, just the feeling of helplessness, helplessness of a parent yeah. and like the failing of the secular world there, the failing of the, uh, of all, all of the, you know, and then the message there is, is oh, against, against true evil, your, your technology but is yeah, not like to Halloween it, Halloween <laughs> But <laughs> still holding gross. No, that's the entire no, Halloween. Halloween two, in the words of uh, John Carpenter, is still trash. Halloween two is, is an abomination and a horrible movie. Uh -huh. I think. I think just like I like the movies where the victim or just any kind of person is kind of helpless to this kind of unknown entity, and I think like those kind of movies make me feel more like it's more realistic. Because you don't have, like, a person that's like, oh, I'm big and strong. I can take down, like, anybody. And I think with kind of, like, horror movies, it should be somebody that isn't really used to, uh, like, kind of the, like, isn't, like, like, let's say if you have a serial killer, like, a serial killer is chasing you, have them stumble. Have them kind of kind of fall and right. kind of base, like base it in some sort of realism where it's not yeah real. like i don't want somebody who is just able to run like they're they're like usain bolt out here like running like like it's <laughs> nothing and the guy's just like eh, well i got they got away kind of like swipe or no swiping like kind of but i like this movie kind of shows a helplessness with like a little girl kind of unable to unable to fight this kind of unknown power. But then again, I also hated Halloween four with this. <laughs> but I think with this girl is more like Reagan, the character herself wasn't a huge character in this movie. It was more of the demon that was possessing her. That was becoming more of a unknown thing. It was more about like the actual exorcist and as well, like the priest and everyone else that was happening during this time. Anybody else wanted like I wanted to know more about Marin. I wanted to follow Marin around Iraq. I wanted to know what Marin did previous to this, and you know they had met before. He goes, not nah, you know the demon goes, not nah, priest Marin. You know clearly wanted priest Marin, <laughs> but like you wasn't know, there an exorcist at the beginning? I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah there, there was. There was. Does not Father Marin? I don't know. I, I don't Father know. Marin is 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 front and center. It's a prequel. Carl. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I haven't. One. I, well, I think I may have seen it, but I remember nothing about it. It but takes place in Africa. I didn't, I didn't have the context for it when I, when I saw it. So, Well, I mean, that, that segues into, you know, 
why don't we go around and give a couple things we like and dislike on this movie? And I'm going to talk straight off the bat here that I'm not a huge fan of possession movies. <laughs> and that's probably why I haven't seen too many of the other Exorcist movies. For me, it's like, this is the movie. This is the possession movie. You know, all the other possession movies are kind of like, eh, I don't really go out of my way to see them. I think some of the things I disliked in this movie were what we talked about, the slow pacing. You know, I thought there was just a lot of dialogue drawn out. There wasn't too much action. I know we got the conclusion scene with a bunch of action, and I liked that. That was uh, kind of made the build up worth it, you know, in the end. Going into dislikes, too, I felt like the beginning and the rest of the movie were a little disjointed. To your point, Barakal, I would have liked to see maybe, you know, more about, like, what Father Marin was doing in Iraq mm -hmm. and, and things like that. You know, you could have went that way, too. That's another way to yeah. to do that build-up into the demon Pazuzu, mm -hmm. you know, taking over Reagan's body and things like that. So I, I feel like those are a couple of the big dislikes. We talked about the cop kind of being almost a wasted character. I mean, I like some of the scenes with him in there, but like you said, like, what, you know, what was the point of him, really? You know, I... I'm not sure. Some of the things I liked, the atmosphere is awesome. Yeah. You know, I think it has that, like, like Dan said, not a lot of music has that underlying tension. I love that underlying tension in the movie, you know, and, and you're almost waiting because you, if you haven't seen the movie, you're waiting for the big scenes of the exorcism. You know, you're, it's like a big build up to that. Now, granted, it's a little slow to get there, but I do like some of the tension. I was a fan, you know, originally of, you know, when the lights flicker and you kind of see the Pazuzu face. I thought that was a little scary element. I know they kind of added some of that in later on, but it's just something a little different to kind of keep that tension, you know, of what's going on there. You know, the acting I thought was great. I mean... The mother sells it, you know, she really sells the struggle. I love the scene where she's talking in her house after the doctors go and see Reagan that after she's been possessed and they're like, oh, well, we could do, uh, you know, some more, you know, this would be the next step. And she's just like losing it. Like, Wait, you, didn't, you didn't see what was in that room? Like, you know, you're out of your mind. You know, she was just losing it. The acting was great. The obviously Father Karras. You know, I love his acting abilities, too. I thought he really brought kind of this great role, almost like a father figure in a way, too. He almost stepped into that role as well. Mm -hmm. So there was great. Obviously, the, the scenes with Reagan, I mean, those are some of the classic scenes. Like we talked about the head spinning, the spider walk, the throwing up. You know, it was levitating. Mm -hmm. And all those scenes, scenes were great. But I think... The biggest thing I like is the overall atmosphere, like Barakal had said earlier, with the, the classic scene, you know, with Father Marin and in the cover of this movie. I mean, it's just iconic. So, I mean, those are some of my likes and dislikes. Dan, what do you think? What do you? Have? Uh, I mean, I think you you covered quite a quite a bit of uh, my likes. I definitely agree with you. I think the effects are awesome. I love how they uh, captured like. The room temperature, uh, you know, demons have this tendency to, to drop room temperature. Mm, so they have yeah. like the, the smoke. And then that uh, scene where she finally breaks out of the, the ties out of the bed and she's kind of like 
reaching up into the sky and then that light shines down and the Pazuzu statue in the back. I think that's such a cool little yeah. little scene there. I, I, I gotta tell you, the one thing I'm not a fan of, uh, and I don't know if this is like they recently edited it or if this is original, but the green vomit to me looks very CGI-y. Kind of reminds me of, uh, for all you millennials out there, the green Nickelodeon gack. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, to me, like, every time, like, the vomit scenes happened, it kind of took me out of it. It kind of felt more like a comedic relief it, than it, it did. It kind of comical, and maybe that's just because of Prime, because it's used so much in comedy, but it did seem comical. Yeah, like, it just, it there was no, like, horror effect to it. It didn't seem real. It, it was the one thing, I would say, out of the entire movie it, it, that made it not feel, like, as realistic. Realistic, yeah. Um, it took you out of it. I do love the characters. My favorite character, I'm going to talk about him later in our hook, line, and, and stinker, but Burke Dennings, I think yes. he's an unsung hero in this movie. <laughs> he's got a lot of funny parts. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I think that's, that's, uh, I'm going to pass it along to, to Bear Claw here. Sure. You know, I, I agree. I agree with, with everything that, that's, that's going to, that was said. You know, it's the things I like about the movie. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, and no two ways about that. It's well written. Uh, I do like the no, the no music. I do like the atmosphere that it brings, the slow terror. Like, it's too slow for me personally, but, uh, I think that you could argue that the pacing is part of it and, and you could make a good argument that it adds to it. I would agree. The one problem I have, or the biggest problem I think I had with this movie was, I didn't feel like the battle, once the priests had gotten there and the battle had started, I felt like it was very, I, I feel like there should have been more of a battle. It wasn't as epic a struggle as I thought it was going to be. They kind of go in, they read some stuff, the demon has some funny things to say. Your mother sucks cocks in hell, They go into the other room, they rest for a couple of minutes, then Father Marin goes back in because he says he's too weak, or the other guy's too weak in his faith, and then Father Marin goes in. Then the other guy goes in and Tyler Marin's just dead. And it's like, okay, like, but like, I, I don't know. I, I pictured it being a much more epic battle than, than it was in the movie. It just kind of happened. And then the guy jumped out the window and it was the end of the movie. <laughs> like, like, it was a lot of build up to like. The way you just described it, you described it almost like it was an episode of Monty Python. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the guy jumps out and then, you know, and then that happens. Like, it, it became very matter of fact towards the end. And I, I think the the buildup was probably the best part of it, but like I would have liked to have seen a more like uh, compelling exorcism, if you will, if the power of <laughs> the power of Christ could compel it to be interesting. Um, but it wasn't. So. Sick burn. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, Logan. What what do you have for likes and dislikes? I mean, you basically said everything that I would say is my like, but like I think the one thing I really was just really drawn to was the lighting like absolutely just the lighting was at like it was just perfect like everything looked really good i think whenever whenever it came for the night like to happen like when the movie was going on whenever night happened the lighting like everything just looked cool the house looked like like when you look up at the house and you see the room reagan's room just like looking out it's just like this kind of like 
Mm. I feel ominous. kind of like it's ominous. Yeah, it's like I'm almost like it's a moth drawn to the flame, kind of like what is going on here? What is happening? And I think the other thing I really want to talk about is when Chris is in the kitchen and the lights are all dimming, like the lights are going red, and then you see uh, Bazuzu like with a jump scare, kind of like I was like, whoa, that's a little. That's a, that was kind of like my moment where I was kind of like, okay, now we got something cooking. We got we got some fuel to the fire here. And then it kind of just dropped. Where I would have to agree with Bear Claw, like, I think it just, the battle wasn't really good. I thought them just chanting, the power of Christ compels you, like, over and over again was just like, Christ, just let this end. The power of Christ compelled me to turn this movie off and let me go to bed. Like, I just was kind of like, I wasn't into it. I think I just didn't care at that point where I was kind of like, I didn't know where it was going to end. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I thought that was going to kind of lead me to like the ending, but... It just fell flat. It just was kind of there. And I think this movie in its entirety kind of was just there. Like going back to what we were talking about earlier in the ending, it's just kind of like you said, it's just at the end, it's so anticlimactic. It's, just an it's end. like, ah, oh, that's the end of that. <laughs> it's just an end. It's just an end. It's kind of like uh, I know horror movies in general end with kind of this ominous kind of like, we did it, but at what cost? Yeah. And I thought that movie kind of did end with that, but at the same time, I was kind of like, no one cared. No one cared about what just happened, like what they saw, and they were just kind of throwing it underneath the rug. I like, kind of just didn't care about it as much, even though despite what they saw, what had happened, and I think that was where I kind of was like, what is the overall impact of that to everyone else? And it was just, just happened. Another day. <laughs> Another day at the office. Another day in wherever yeah. town they were in. <laughs> well, we've come to one of our favorite segments here. Hook, line, or stinker. I'm going to go first here. I got to admit, I don't have a hook. There wasn't really many kills to choose from. But I do have a line, and my line is kind of when Father Karras goes into the room for the first time with Reagan, and he goes, you know, they do the introductions, and he goes, I'm Damon Karras, and uh, she goes, and I'm the devil. Now kindly undo these straps. <laughs> <laughs> he says, if you're the devil, why not make the straps disappear? And she goes, that's much too vulgar display of power, Karras. And I thought that was like kind of just a cool, like, yeah, such clever dialogue. Yeah, and it shows you who's really in control here. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. I thought that was uh, he kind of went in there, kind of cocky, and he got knocked down a bit. <laughs> oh yeah. For stinker, I kind of have two. <laughs> One is when she pees on the floor. Yeah. I it was... See, I disagree that being a stinker. That terrified me. Yeah. That was terrifying. I thought me. it was funny. Yeah. That I thought it was kind of terrifying. Her just coming down in the middle of the party, it being kind of silent. Everybody's just having a good time. Then they turn over and she just 
whips <laughs> out going to die. Yeah, just a death proclamation, <laughs> and then geez, I I don't know. It was a lack of control. I, that that I, that I thought was terrifying. Urinary incontinence well, is terrifying. Yeah. You know, with our stinkers, sometimes it adds to the movie being good. I yeah, that, that was one of the memorable scenes. I for me, I was looking at the other guest's face when it happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just one of those like awkward. Uh, yeah, exactly awkward, but. You know, one of our characters, Burke, like you talked about, we got to give a little love to him. He had a stinker line that I thought was just ridiculous, where he goes, There seems to be an alien pubic head in my gym. There seems to be a pubic hair in my There appears to be a pubic hair in my drink. Alien pubic hair in my drink. I've never seen it before in my life, have you? Like, I thought that was a stinker, like, because, you know, it's just out of the realm of what is he talking about? But he's also drunk, too, so he's selling being drunk at a party. They're all drunk. Uh, Yeah. Uh, so that, so really, I didn't have any hook, but I have a line and a couple stinkers. All right, Dan, what do you have? You you set me up beautifully. I'm going to go right into my hook, and it's going to be, I didn't really have an opportunity to really, really put this anywhere, so I'm going to put it right in the hook. It's an homage to my boy, Burke Dennings. Uh, dude lived a very fast and aggressive life, slamming booze and boosting lewds at parties, <laughs> calling to help Nazis. Um, I think Pazuzu was smitten by his antics. It had Reagan pee on a floor later in the night as an act of gamesmanship. <laughs> All this courting led to Burke getting his neck snapped and yeeted out the window. That is my hook. Dang it, ode to Burke. That was yeah. like a uh, proclamation. Like a eulogy? Yeah. Yeah. It wow. Was. That was like... Uh, yeah. My lines, uh, kind of going back to our kind of thread of our conversation throughout is the uh, scene where Chris and Father Karras are kind of going back and forth on whether or not Reagan needs an exorcism, and Chris poses the question, I thought you were an expert, and Father Karras says, There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. And kind of basically says, uh, like, you're just as much of an expert as any Catholic priest. And I think it just it speaks to Chris's desperation, her holding on to hope that there is someone with the knowledge to cure her daughter. Karis is the sobering reality that there isn't any certainty that these circumstances are by chance. There are no experts in chance encounters with demons. To me, it is the argument for faith to exist in a space where all reason and rational understanding does not exist. And then, uh, so that is, that's my uh, line. And then my stinker, I kind of touched on it, the green vomit, but I'm going to, you know, my runner up was as cool as the head turnaround thing was. I wish they had kind of took out this one little detail where they said that the demon had done this previously, I think on two other occasions, and it snapped the people's necks and killed them instantly. Like, this demon did it to Reagan twice, and to our point, the end of the movie, it's like, ah, well, that was something. Yeah, like, yeah. that was definitely something that they just brought up, and then they were just like, eh. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But it is a cool effect. Yeah. It's iconic, but in terms of how it fits into the movie, it doesn't fit to me. It's all unnecessary. Yes. Yeah. All right, Bear Claw. Well, so... 
So mine is going to be, uh, so I don't have a hook because only four people died in this movie. Karis's mom, a guy was launched from the window. That's Denny. Dan did a beautiful job covering <laughs> Denny. I, I, what more could I say? Uh, Priest Maring just kind of Only dies. one kill was shown on screen. So yeah. like all and the, the young priest kills himself. That's that's the oh, yeah, the that's fourth funny. one. Um, but uh, but my favorite line, and and this is where it kind of shows that like diabolical intelligence. And like you said, uh, like Kevin mentioned, where you know you're in uh, whatever entity has possessed Reagan's game. You know he you're in here with him. He's not in here with you, kind of mm-hmm. thing. But it says uh, when he's talking with uh, Karos, and he says. What an excellent day for an exorcism. What an excellent day for an execution. And the priest goes, would you like that? And the demon goes, and this was real creepy, he goes, intensely. And and the priest goes, but wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? But it would bring us closer together. But it would bring us together. And the, and the priest looks kind of confused. You and Reagan? And, the, and he goes, you and us. And I like how he goes, you and us, because in so many demonic possessions, it's rarely just a single demon. Right. You know, if you look at the history of these things, even the biblically documented uh, demonic possessions, it, it says, you know, we are legion. We are, you know, the 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 it's never just one entity. It's kind of like always saying that there's like legions behind. And and, uh, you know, for, as far as a stinker goes, I've had trouble finding a stinker. I don't think there was anything that was too stinker. I mean, the movie feels a little dated. A lot less relevant. Pea soup bomb looked was you know just because of all the jokes that have been made over it over the years. It was like it was kind of a moment that took me out of like the terror and was like oh that's kind of that's kind of funny and and because that was always the joke is like an excessive amount of uh, vomit due to demonic possession. But that's my uh, hook line and stinker. I think for your line you had said execution instead exorcism. What a but it kind of or like what an excellent day for an exorcism. That's what I meant. Yeah, I don't rang true either. Way. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. So that that was kind of a. Sl- Are you sure you're not possessed? Uh, you know what? I, I'm feeling the spirits coming through me. Pee on the carpet. I peed on the carpet earlier, so Woo! it's like <laughs> he was tossing up a storm the other day. Man. I know. We'll, we'll have to edit all that. This in, that in my head has been spinning all day. It's strange. <laughs> All right, Logan, what's your hook, line, or stinker? Well, I don't have a hook because, as we previously stated, there is no real kill besides the father's death. But you know what? I'll put that up there since none of you said it. So I will keep keep that as my hook. Father Marin. I will admit, though, when he went out the window, it was kind of, it took me by surprise, where I was like, okay, this is where it went, and... Okay, it's Father Karras, you're talking about the, the yeah that went out the window. Okay, yeah, Father, Father Karras, I yeah. think that was kind of just a, yeah, that was kind of a surprising kill, and I mm-hmm. think that kind of, like, spoke to the, like I said, kind of the defeat of this movie, and kind of, it felt like they didn't really win at the end, no one really won, it was just kind of, it was a thing that happened, unfortunately, but I would say line, probably when the demon is talking as the mother to Father Karras and just saying, Dimi, why you do this to me? Dimi, why do you do this to me? <laughs> and it's just like, why are you trying this? Because he obviously isn't just going to be like, Mother, let me help you. Like, kind of like, it is kind of like lying to his innocence, kind of like his, he just lost his mother. And the guilt of that kind of like bring him back to where he was kind of like, he didn't see his mother a lot. 
he obviously didn't keep well like with like everything that was yeah, happening yeah, with her. Adults. And to your point though, too, it does go into like him being defeated at the end too. It mm-hmm. kind of feeds into that. Well. Yeah, like he just lost his mother. He lost his faith. Like he is at his. He is literally at the end. Do you think the mother part ties into any of like the the feminist overtones of the movie? Because he lost his mother. You know, the maternal. Mm-hmm. You could look at it as kind of like the mother being the the loss of the mother is the exiting of the maternal presence from his life. Whereas this is Reagan at twelve years old. She's becoming. She's entering womanhood. Whereas his yeah. mother died recently and left wow. out of his life. I mean, that, there there could be some type. There's of, a tie-in. There's. Yeah. Yeah. So subliminally, I guess, definitely, because yeah. it's not something that they, like, push. But they do know. push the mother's death they quite do a push bit. It, but I always thought it was, like, more to guilt Father Karras. I don't yeah. think it's a guilt, though. I think it's just, like, a thing that kind of, like, makes Father Karras kind of just this person who's kind of just, like, I don't have anything left, really, where I kind of just lost my mother I lost my faith, I lost kind of what I had, and now I'm kind of just lost in this kind of world where, like, we obviously see demons and, like, death and all this other stuff is going on, and obviously that brings into this whole world where he's just like, what do I have left? So that's why that's my line. I would say stinker. I think stinker is just everything that the cop says. (laughs) What does it bring into it? Nothing. But I will say I think... The biggest stinker that I think we obviously faced was there were no real death scenes. There were no like real like I think I really wanted to see uh, Father Miriam kind of I wanted to see his death and I kind of wanted to see more of him in this movie. And I felt like they kind of didn't show him as much after his tour in uh, Iraq. And then he just didn't do anything, came in and then died. That that's is, all that, that happened. That's a good point. There is a little, uh, you know, a part in the movie where he's really not involved and all of a sudden comes in and it feels disjointed. I yeah, think. I think it just, they never, again, like Bear Call was saying, there was no, like, means for, like, I think I didn't want a meaning for the demon. I wanted a meaning for him. Like, what did he have to gain out of this all? We need, we need the, the Father Miriam story. Okay, Father Miriam cut. Bring it to us. <laughs> As long as we get more demon mom jokes. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was great. We are on to our final rating for this movie. We're gonna rate the movie. Well, will they rate the movie? The killer is great, the victim sucks, the survivor is in between. What was that? <laughs> is it? A killer? Is it a survivor? Or is it a victim? I'm going to go first. I'm going to give this movie a survivor. I think it has a lot of good. I think there's also just kind of a lot of not so exciting. This has a tough rewatch for me, even though, you know, I would recommend it for viewers to watch and people to watch. But I think it has low rewatchability for me. You know, once you've seen it, you've kind of seen it. But yeah, I don't think it's terrible by any means. It's beautifully shot, like Bear Claw said. There's some great lines, great acting, great effects, great atmosphere. But, you know, overall, I think it's one of those movies that I just don't find myself going back to a lot. Dan, what do you think? 
All right. Well, my rating for this film is killer. We may not think it's the scariest film, but it certainly was for a lot of people. It's one of the most successful horror movies. It's the first, as we stated before, to be nominated for an Academy Award. It's responsible for the term exorcism being a commonplace in our society. It sprouted an entire subgenre of horror movies. I mean, it's an undeniable piece of horror movie history. And I think if you consider yourself a true horror fan, uh, whether you love it, hate it, or meh, it's required watching. Like, it's a treasure of horror movie fandom. And I think if you're a fan of horror, at least see it once. Right. This is an OG. It is. It is the OG of demonic possession movies. <laughs> yes, sir. Mm-hmm. All right, Bear Claw. I was so torn with this. Uh, I wrestled with this a long time because here's the thing. I was originally going to say victim because one of the things I struggled with with this movie is it's still being relevant. And I don't know that it is. You know, you can say, oh, it's essential for horror movies, but okay, well, the first horror movie, Captain Cal, or, or it was like Caligari's Horror Closet or something like that, back from the 1930s. Oh, that know, Dr. Cal- that, Caligari. Yeah, Caligari's. But that, you know, you watch that, it, it's nonsensical trash. And like, the, the thing is, 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 is it relevant anymore? I, I don't know. And, and I don't know whether this movie is, is relevant anymore, but, uh, you know, the themes of feminism and faith versus secular world and some of those overarching themes. Once I, I honestly enjoyed thinking about the movie far more than I enjoyed watching the movie, but I still, at the end of the day, I still have to say it's an important movie. I think it's worth watching. So I'll give it a reluctant survivor, but my first instinct was victim on this one. Dang, so you you wouldn't give a life jacket to that <laughs> that movie, but it's barely hanging on. It's barely hanging on, and you know what? If I, you know, if I got to make the decision right now, I think I'd go with Survivor just because I think there is there is good there, but uh, but its relevance I feel is waning. Gotcha. All right, Logan, what do you think? Uh, I would have to say victim. I think just. Like you said, I don't think there's any chance in hell I'm watching this again in any way. I don't think I'll ever like think to myself like one day just like, hey, I'm going to put the exorcist on just because I feel like it. I think it does. It does hold up for special effects, lighting, every everything else. But like at the same time, my enjoyment level is definitely on the part. Like it's definitely on like the, in the conversation. Like, did I enjoy this? I wouldn't say I would. I enjoyed it. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I thought I would. And I think that was why I think I didn't like it as much as because when you, when people talk about a uh, movie, it, like whenever a movie is brought up, usually it's because it's good, right? Like every time, like somebody brings up, like let's say Empire Strikes Back, it's one of the greatest movies. Like people always like say those kind of movies are like one of the greatest. And then when you actually watch it, you start to think to yourself, "Am I enjoying this movie?" And that's how I rate it on my top ten list of movies, like everything else like that. But like with an Exorcist movie, I don't think I ever really was gonna think. This is my kind of movie. Like, I never thought in a million years I would like a devil, like, possession movie in this tone. But, like, I think for what it was, it was good. But, like, I don't want to ever see this movie ever again. If we didn't do this podcast, I probably wouldn't have watched it. So, like, I'm just going to keep it as a victim. And you wouldn't recommend it for anybody to watch? 
I would say if people want to watch, if people like this kind of movie, yes. But if people aren't really into horror movies, no, I don't think so. Okay, fair enough. Well, in conclusion, I have a fun question to ask everybody. Oh, God. <laughs> if you could pick a demon or create a demon to possess you, what would his name be or her? And what would they do for you? I'll go first. I'm going to name my demon Yeet. <laughs> and my demon is going to throw all the negativity away from me. Oh, <laughs> you deserve it. People I don't like. Get away from me, Yeet. That doesn't seem like a demon. That just seems like a good person. The power of Yeet compels you. Yes, sir. Damn, do you have one? This. Did you create one? Uh, one? One that makes me rich. That's really it. <laughs> Money bags? Money bags. Maybe, maybe in the vein of the... I think a terrifying prospect would be like a possessed Monopoly Man moniker guy. Ooh. Like an evil Monopoly Man guy. Does he have a monocle on the top hat? It makes, and horns. But it Ooh. makes you wear that like the whole time. You know? Like all of a sudden you, you have a monocle on. <laughs> Can you take it off? It's an evil monocle. Evil monocle. Evil monocle. Ooh. Is there any other kind? It's... It's like an occult artifact. Ooh, no. I'd watch that movie. Money bags? Money bags. I'd watch that. The possession of Dan. <laughs> put uh put some uh Jim uh I don't know, just anybody whose name is Jim on that movie. Just like let's pick the worst actor of all time and let's let him just have fun. I was with gonna it. go with Jim Carrey, but he's not the worst actor. Uh, I wouldn't say Jim Carrey would be good at this, because obviously we've seen, uh, what was that movie where he had to say yes to everything? Yes, man. Yes, man. Yeah. Like, eh, could happen. <laughs> All right, Bear Club, what do you so, so in order to do this, I, I had to do a little bit of research. There were, you know, I, I went to scholarly sources for this. There's the Eres Goria, which is a list of demons. There's the Encyclopedia Diabolica. And then there's another source cited, uh, the Urban Dictionary. And I, I think I went with the Urban Dictionary on this one. I found a demon called uh, Bussin. I'm told he is uh, dead ass, uh, has the riz, and has the power to uh, make you a Rizzler, which I understand to be generally good. So I, I think uh, Bussin is going to be the demon that I would I would look to be possessed. This by. hurts me that so much. That sounds skibbity toilet to me. <laughs> Please let me let me leave, <laughs> Logan. Our younger viewers, we're pulling them in. Ew. Buzzwords. He's gonna get him. You have a demon? <laughs> yeah, mine. My my uh, demon will be called douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a total douchebag. Dang. That uh doesn't sound like Logan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think like a demon that would do something for me doesn't sound like a realistic thing. I want a demon that kind of does something negative because that's what a demon does. Yeah. Like, I think every, right. everyone's kind of a D bag. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just he is what he is. He's true to himself. So he's kind of humble in that way. Mm. He's kind of a humble brag. Would you say Pazuzu was a D bag? Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, Pazuzu was many things. He was he was peacocking, though, a little bit. He was kind of like, oh, I just killed that dude. What are you going to do about it? Like, I don't know. Believe what you want to believe. 
I don't think I want to go on record and say Pazuzu's a D-bag, but <laughs> just in say case. it. Just in case. I mean, he was an Assyrian Babylonian deity. Pazuzu was a lord of the southeast winds, I think. He used to protect mothers and children from, from miscarriages by his wind demon minions, who are known as the Lilu. Wow. There's actually uh, some really, really crazy work on Pazuzu. If you ever want to learn a lot about, like, and scholarly stuff that references this there's a great youtube called esoterica with dr uh, justin sledge who goes through this stuff and he has special things on like pazuzu and lilith and the lilu but you know they talk about this and you know he really uh, you know pazuzu and and that's the demon that this all that i i guess is not named once in this movie but is still the uh, the demon that is is said to possess the her even though he only identifies as the the devil, but the strange thing is, is he's not like, uh, I guess he was actually like a protective in ward and his like, the, all the artifacts that they show are actually historically accurate artifacts of Pazuzu. And he was known to have animal appendages lifting his right or left arm up. I forget which. I think it was the right arm up uh, all the time. And like, he was like, but he was not bad. He was used as kind of like a protection kind of entity. So it's interesting how in this movie he is evil incarnate all of a sudden sounds like after several millennia of doing that he got fed up with that shit yeah <laughs> Isuzu has a bad day Isuzu I guess was a D-bag yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> who isn't <laughs> turned heel well oh dang well this was a wonderful night for an exorcism I guess right yeah <laughs> brought us closer together <laughs> it was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> well, Douchebag and <laughs> money bag and oh man, yeah, I know our demons are all gonna come for you now. So don't use a Ouija board tonight, or you might have money bags, <laughs> or you might want money. Yeah, bags. you might want money bags. Yeah. You might not want douchebag, but um, and you might want busting. Busting might come, and you might want you ye definitely want to become a Rizzler, from my understanding. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Well, thank you guys for listening. This was our review of the 1973 Exorcist. Uh, look for us on Spotify coming up soon. We're going to have another episode coming to you guys. But until then, back into the padded room with you. We'll see you soon. Bye.